Hey everybody, welcome back this week as we walk through the Word together. And as we walk out this truth, we discover that life is produced in us and also in other people. We are walking with one another, growing together to see the life of Christ continue to manifest and birth in us and then to see it spread outside of the walls of our houses and our church building. As I was really processing um, today, just thinking about today, and there's so much running through my mind. Like, I'm, I'm very excited about today. And I'm also, like, I'm just, I'm so convinced. I'm so convinced that, like, there's, there's a strong invitation on many of our lives sitting in this room today, and we've felt like a strong invitation from the Lord to come follow, and there's been a hesitancy. And I even think about, as we say in that word, Jesus is everything to me. There's this, as you sing the song, there's like a twinge as you say everything because you know or you believe that maybe God has told you to do something, called you into something, come follow me. And yet there's this part of your life where you're like, kind of. There's like this little bit of my life where I'm like holding back a little bit. And so as we sing that song, it's like everything. But inside you also deeply want him to be everything. There's like a battle. And I just want to tell you, today is going to be a fresh invitation to everything. And when he invites you into everything, it's not to hold you back, but to give you absolutely more. I pray that you experience the more today. The more that's in Jesus Resurrection power more. Listen, listen. Resurrection power, like from the dead power. Like grave door opened, like step into the light, full light. Don't stay in the darkness, not even a shadow, like run into the light. Don't run into the light. I think there's going to be an invitation to run into the light and to stay into the light. And your invitation is together. Look around the room for a second. You're not alone, and I'm talking to me today. I'm talking to us. I believe there's an invitation for us today. Would you ask him to talk to you? Just intimately, right where you are, just ask him to talk to you. Um, and before we step into that prayer, I want to read our passage today. And our passage is unconventional text. It's maybe different. You may have never heard this text on Easter Sunday. In fact, I've never heard it on Easter Sunday. But Paul's writing this letter to a church uh, to remind them of some stuff, to call them back to center, and to tell them what really matters. Because they're in a culture that is polytheistic. I mean, they serve and worship all kinds of gods. And all of those God worship have like found their way into government, found their way into just mainline life, media probably, uh, their Twitter of the day, you know, the Elon Musk's of the day. Uh, but it, it, the, the church was like adopting some of these principles. And then Paul's writing to this church and he's like, hey, I want to tell you of first importance what I received myself. And I want to tell you this word today. And so I just pray that this word uh, is of first importance and allows us to stand in a day where I believe we're invited into some truth that's true for some people, but ultimate truth is true for all people. Some truth is true for some people. Ultimate truth is true for all people. I'm gonna talk about ultimate truth today. Not a truth that saves your sandcastle kingdom for 70 years. Not a half truth that may keep your 401k before Russia invades. No, I'm going to say, I'm going to say, let's go. <laughs> you know, it's real. Like, it's real. We, we all watch the news. Russia's coming. Putin's on the move. My 401k is done. The stock market is going to crash. The dollar is done. How the, how the heck are we going to stand? Welcome to Easter, baby. <laughs> That's why we're talking about ultimate truth, not some truth. Because some truth is going to save some 401ks for some amount of time. The ultimate truth I'm talking about is far beyond the 70 years. Eternity is at stake here, and I'm talking about that. 
That's what Paul was telling this church. Ultimate truth in order for them to stand. Now listen to this passage. If you got your scripture, you can turn there with me. 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 8. And then we're going to ask him to talk to us a little bit more. And as you turn there, today is going to be unconventional in all kinds of ways. I'm not going to share the whole time today. I've asked Adam and Genevieve to share a portion of this text with us. So we're going to hear a little bit of different voices today. Um, are you ready? 1 Corinthians 15. And I want to start in verse 1. And I want to read eight verses. And remember, Paul is talking to a church because they're kind of getting sideways. They're believing some stuff that may be a little bit different. And he's just bringing them back to center. He says, now I would remind you, brothers, and that word means also sisters, ladies, you're involved in that, of the gospel that I preached to you, that word gospel just simply means good news. And I think we've maybe missed that word. Of the gospel that I preached to you, which you received and in which you stand. Today, the gospel is what's going to be what allows you to stand. If you're, if you're living according to a word that somebody spoke to you once upon a time, you will find yourself stumbling often. The gospel allows you to stand always. By which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preach to you. Listen, if you hold fast, that means if you stay steady in this. The word that I told you, I preached to you, unless maybe you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance, like this is the most important thing, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, and that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, that he appeared to Cephas, meaning Peter, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me, that being Paul. Would you bow your head and ask him now just to talk to you? Lord, what does this even mean for me today? What do you need from him? Tell him what you need. Just express your heart to him. He hears you and he cares. Father, I want to join your heart as I pray today. And I know that your heart is that we experience you like the tangible touch from you, like a real experience with you, but not just to satisfy like a, a want in our heart, but to transform us into the likeness of your image. Father, I pray today that resurrection power would be evident and that you would move us in any direction you want us to go. Speak to our hearts and our minds. God, I pray in this room for deliverance from uh, bondages that have been for a long time because the tomb is empty and we can walk out. You've invited us. I pray, God, that you allow us the grace to believe upon you today. I pray healing in this room today in the name of Jesus. I pray salvation in this room. I just pray that eyes would be opened like never before and that we would walk out of this room set free and delivered to walk with you, Father. Speak beyond our words today in Jesus' name. I ask this, amen. A guy, uh, there's a Swiss... Um, psychologist who developed um, something called the, the, Rorsch, the Rorschach ink blots. I don't know if you've ever heard of Rorschach. But Rorschach was a, was a Swiss psychologist and like apparently like he loved art. And so he developed these ink blots 
and he had this test. And every time I looked at him, I was like, man, these are scary. I don't know what it said about me, but he said that what you believed, and each person saw these things different, but what you believed about yourself and different aspects of your life caused you to draw your attention and describe certain aspects of these ink blots in certain kind of ways. Caused every one of us to see it a little bit different. Now, it's not absolute truth. It's some truth. But I believe like this same principle is, is true. Okay, okay, we're, this good. Everybody's like, I'm getting freaked out. But I believe like in the same way that the idea of resurrection, like your view and what you believe about resurrection affects how you see everything in your life. It affects how you're going to watch the news. If we believe the resurrection or not, we're going to see the news totally different. If you believe upon the resurrection, you're going to handle conflict different. If you believe upon the resurrection, it's going to transform the way you see relationships. It's going to transform the way you walk in the grocery store, the way you get gas, why you work. It affects every aspect of our life. What you believe about the resurrection matters more than anything. That's why Paul is telling this early church, the resurrection, the first importance, Jesus crucified for you, but he is not dead, he is alive. And if he's alive, it really matters. That means he lives in eternity forever and he is not dead. That means he's coming back. And all these people who think they're gonna rule the world, they're gonna rule it for a minute and they're gonna face him in eternity. He's coming back. So I say, the king is coming. Who's worried in the room today? I know him. I walk with him and he walks with me. He talks with me and he is my everything. Therefore, I'm worried about nothing. He wants that for you today. And it's possible. It's possible. But I do believe we are faced with a decision for that to be possible. I can't, I can't talk to everyone's doubts in the room today, but everybody brings them. And I want to tell you, I work through them every day myself, okay? I just want to be very vulnerable and honest. I work through these doubts every single day. But as I process through what Paul is talking about, every single day, I have this, this critic that comes to me and he tells me all the stuff that I do wrong and how I'm not enough. And I have to take this message right here and I say, yeah, but Jesus... Therefore, I stand up here and I speak this message by faith because Jesus, and he shows up to me and his grace is evident to me and it's transforming my life every single day. And I invite you into the process of preaching this message every single day. It's first importance. And I can't address every single doubt in the room today, but we're gonna address a few. But last week I talked about some of the evidence for this, for this passage and as I'm thinking about like the evidence of the, of the, of according to the scriptures, and I just want to read a couple of those to you. According to the scripture, he was crucified. Isaiah 53, three through six says, he was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was, listen, this is written hundreds of years before Jesus shows up. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, listen, we're healed. Are many of you searching for healing today? The wounds are found, through, the healing is found through the wounds of Jesus on the cross. Absolutely forgiven today because of what Jesus did, not what you do, Jesus did. He was crucified for you and me. And all we like sheep have gone astray. Let's look around again, look around the room. You're not alone. You're not alone. I like the word all, I'm with you. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one 
to his own way. If you walked in the room doubting yourselves today, you're in good company. And in fact, I, I believe maybe it's the step of freedom that you need today. But all we, everyone to his own way, and the Lord, listen, the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. All of us, forgiven by the same one, he was pierced for your transgressions today, according to the scriptures, written hundreds of years before Jesus. And then he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures. Hosea 6, 2 says, after two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will raise up again that we may live before him. According to the word, years before Jesus shows up and you're telling me this guy shows up and does what this thing says, what's the odds of that? And I shared last week, but Daniel chapter 9 and Daniel looks through the prophet Jeremiah's writings and looks and says he finds in the scriptures that, that it was revealed to the prophet that when the temple gets destroyed and then there's going to be this, uh, this declaration that the temple will be rebuilt, from the day that that happened, there was going to be a timeline when the Savior would show up. And from that day, the scripture says that it would be 69 seven-year cycles until the Messiah would appear. Now listen, for those of us who love this kind of facts, like this is for you. The Babylonian calendar was based on a 360-day calendar, not a 365-day calendar. So that would mean that, listen, 69 seven-year cycles of 360 days is 170. 173,880 days after the commandment of the temple to be rebuilt, the Savior would show up. We know that exact date according to the book of Nehemiah. When Nehemiah says that that time, according to the scripture, it was March 14th, 445 BC, 173,000 something days later, we get to this date. April 6th, 32 AD. That's in your scriptures. Guys, we have historical evidence that this guy, Jesus, walked the planet at that exact time. The writer Josephus, Roman historian, says, I don't know, and he's not even a believer, but he says, this guy, Jesus, claims to uh, be the son of God, and uh, these people believe he raised from the dead, and they're turning the world upside down. I can't address every doubt, but that's pretty wild to me. He's alive, and he showed up to these guys right here. And I'm going to hand it to Jen and let us uh, hear their stories that we might glean from their stories. As a team, as we were processing this, um, this scripture, it was so... Um, Fun might be the right word, fun. But when you read the scripture sometimes, uh, have you ever read a verse and you're like, that's so unassuming? Like you just read it and you're like, good to know. Let's keep going, you know? And so as I was reading this verse, it makes sense. Like, yeah, I agree with that. He was burdened. He was raised from the, from the dead. Absolutely. Just as scripture said. Absolutely, right? And then it continues on and says, he was seen by. And it goes into a list of who he was seen by. And so as a team, we were like, hey, let's just look into this. As I was looking into it, um, I am fascinated by the order in which God uh, communicates in things. But as I started, I started with Peter, because that's the first one in the list. And it wowed me. If you, if you know Peter, uh, Peter is one of Jesus' disciples. And Peter calls him a fisherman, and he calls him out, but he renames him. So his name is Simon, and he calls him Peter. And Peter means the rock. Later you'll see he says that Peter will be the rock that he builds his church on. Peter's the same guy who walked on the water. He's the same guy who in the garden when the authorities are coming to arrest Jesus chops off the ear of a servant. You know, he's like, let's go. And he's the same guy who denies Jesus three times while he's on trial. 
So this, this guy, Peter, he is a faithful follower of Jesus. He is his friend. He walks with him, talks with him. He fights for him, you know, even when he doesn't need it. And then he denied him. And as I was looking at that, how powerful is it that that is one of the first, right? He appeared to Mary, but then the word would say that he is one of the first people that Jesus resurrected king comes back to is the guy who denied him three times. I don't know about y'all, but that is wild. That is so wild. And then I started asking, why? Why do we need to know that he showed up to Peter? Why is this so profound? And this is where we're going to be today. We're going to cozy up right here in Matthew 26. Um, And it starts around a table with Jesus. And I believe the words are going to come on up here, but this is the words of Jesus. Jesus said to them, you will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I'm raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter answered him. So Peter, this is our guy. This is who he's talking about. Peter answered him, though they fall away because of you, I will never, I will never, never and always, very strong words, very strong words. Continuing on. So he says, I will never fall away. Jesus said to him, oh, can you imagine just sitting around the table with Jesus and he's sharing all these things? And he said, truly, I tell you this very night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And then our man, Peter, Peter said to him, even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. So, so Peter is sitting here and he is like, absolutely not. I will never do that. And Jesus says, you will. You will. So we're going to keep going on. That was around a table. Fast forward. Peter has been invited to come pray with Jesus in the garden. He falls asleep. Jesus wakes him up. They continue on. He's there when he gets arrested. His hair. He's there when he gets arrested. And then he's invited. He follows Jesus. And Jesus is away being interrogated. And Peter is around a fire. So he's around a fire with people who are like wanting to kill Jesus. That's what this whole trial is about. And this is where we find ourselves again. So this is like 20 verses later in verse 69. And it says, now Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard and a servant girl came up to him and said, you also were with Jesus, the Galilean. And what does Peter do? He denies, he denies it. He says, I don't even know what you mean. That's where we start. I have no understanding of what you're saying. No, nothing, not to do with me. And then it goes on, he says, and then he went outside to the entrance and another servant girl saw him. And she said to the bystanders, this man was with Jesus of Nazareth. And again, he denied it with an oath. And this time he doesn't just say, I don't know what's going on. He says, I don't know that man. This man that he spent all of his time with these past couple years. After a little while, the bystanders came up to Peter Certainly you too are one of them, for your accent betrays you. And then he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know the man. And immediately the rooster crowed. And in some translations, it says that Jesus looks over and they see one another. I don't know about y'all, but when I read scripture, sometimes it can feel really far off. Like it can feel like, oh, that happened then and it was so far away. But can you imagine spending all your time, let's just make him a friend, spending all this time with a friend, your friend's in trouble and you deny, deny, deny. And then he looks at you and he knows what happened and you know what happened. And you'll notice in the scripture, it ends, (laughs) Peter goes off weeping bitterly. I don't know if y'all have ever wept bitterly, but that is some like, (gasps) like we're talking like snot, eye running, like we are broken, weeping bitterly. 
And as I was looking at, at this verse and, and thinking about it, I had no doubt that what Peter said earlier when he said, I'll never deny you, I think he meant it with everything he had. With everything he knew, he meant it. You don't say that if you don't mean it. And then he got into the heat of his situation when he felt like temptation pressing in, when he felt people who were against him, who wanted to kill Jesus, and he was scared. Anybody been scared to tell the truth? Sometimes it can be so, so scary. And fear crept in. And we have all, just like what we see with Peter in his denials, experienced the bitter taste of what it's like to have a personal failure. I don't know about y'all, but that inner critic that you were talking about, this is what he said to me, my inner critic reminds me over and over, over and over and over, probably shouldn't have said that, probably shouldn't have done that, that he probably was thinking this, she was probably thinking this, you definitely sucked, you know, like over and over, there's this inner critic, and this self-hatred, right, that's what Peter was feeling, the self-hatred seeped in without invitation, he didn't need to say, come be here with me. Make me feel this way. He met eyes with Jesus, heard the rooster crow, and it came without invitation, hence why he weeped bitterly. He probably was thinking, how could I? Remember what I said? I never thought I would do that. Surely not me. What must he think about me? What must he think about me? What do I do now? All of these questions that just assault Peter, you know, in his mind as he goes off and then he waits for the resurrection. How many of y'all think that was a really long wait? With so much attack earlier in the Gospel of Luke, it talks about that um, <laughs> that Jesus says to his disciples, he said um, ha- that Satan has demanded to have them. I think that might be a little bit of what that feels like. The enemy just demanding to have them over and over. He was just speaking lies over Peter. And so as we continue on in this, um, I I was thinking about it personally, about like, why would he have done that? And what would that mean? And like the fear and the self-protection of that. And then I believe this is where the power is revealed. Because when Jesus resurrects, he comes back to him. Like soon, first, in terms of, I'm going to tell this to you. And these are the three things that I really believe are resurrection power revealed in this. The person who denied him over and over, he meets him in the self-hatred, in the doubt, in the wrestling, and this is what he says. He acknowledges Peter even after Peter pretended to not know him. How powerful is that? He said, I see you even when you said you didn't see me. He chooses Peter even after Peter denied him. I choose you. I choose you even when you didn't choose me. And then he speaks a blessing over Peter instead of the curses. That's so powerful. That is not, what what is it called right now? Cancel culture that says, you don't believe what I believe. You don't do what I do. You came against me. You're done. You're done. That is not our king. And that's not what he does. And that's why it's so powerful and so important that he came back and spoke to Peter. Peter wasn't too far gone. Peter wasn't cast out forever. Actually, he invites him in. He loves him. He sees him. He speaks those things over him. And then on the shore, when he's with the rest of the disciples, he says, Peter, if you, if you love me, feed my sheep. If you love me, can care for my sheep. If you love me, feed my sheep. Three times, he invites him back into the ministry that they were doing together. 
that's amazing. And then if y'all know, he goes on and continues. And Peter is the disciple that when the Holy Spirit comes upon uh, the disciples and everyone thinks they're crazy, they think they're drunk, Peter is the one who confidently steps forward and he says, they're not drunk. These are the words that were prophesied. This is what happened. I was with him. I saw him. I was in him. He's my guy. And then he tells them that it's available to them too. And he gave away what he had received. And many came to know Jesus. And so the reality is that in him reappearing to Peter, he set Peter free. He saw him. He loved him. He set him free. And he said, I choose you. I acknowledge you. I bless you. And he continued on in amazing ministry. It wasn't about the works, but he knew that he had been forgiven, set free, loved by the king. So Adam's going to come on up now, and he's going to talk about the disciples and how Jesus appeared to the 12. You know, as Jen was sharing, I was just thinking, I think a lot of us are in that stage of Peter's journey where it's just we're rehearsing our failures and our mistakes, and we're stuck in that. Anybody do that? Listen, the truth is you're not defined by your failures and your mistakes. Jesus paid for all that. Not only did he pay for our sins and our guilt and wash that clean, but there's the resurrection. He also conquered death. That's why Paul's writing this to the first Corinthians, to the Corinthians, the church in Corinth. You see, they were getting a little confused about what they originally believed. Somehow the truth about the resurrection was kind of getting a little bit muddled. So it's bringing clarity. So he says this in verse 5, says that Jesus came to Peter and the 12. Now, um, I don't know where you are in terms of like when you identify with one of the 12. There's one named Thomas. Maybe you've heard of Thomas. He's the one. So when Jesus came back from the dead, he appeared to the disciples. They weren't all together, right? Some were together. And so Thomas comes He's with the disciples who have seen the risen Savior. And they're like, hey, Jesus rose from the dead. Anybody remember what Thomas did? He's like, hey, I want to believe it when I can put my finger in the hole in his side and my finger, you know, where the nails were in his hands and his wrists. So that's, that's Thomas, right? So we've got some Thomas in all of us, right? But we also have some people who just walk in such great faith. You know, when Jay shares the Old Testament scriptures that, like, reveal Jesus was fulfilling, like, something so minute, like only he could fulfill the exact moment in history. It's like those people, you know, when there are archaeological digs in the Middle East and it reveals like more evidence that Jesus did what he said he did, some of us are like, whoa. And other people who have such great faith are like, yeah, of course. You know, they don't need it. And my, my youngest daughter, her computer stopped working this week. She has to have a little laptop for school. And I'm trying to empower her to own her situation. And I'm like, what's your plan? I'm there for, of course, to help. I'm not a terrible dad, but I want her to own her problem. What's your plan? What are you going to do? And I like logic, and I like reason, and I like planning. Anybody else like that? Logic, reason. I know a couple of you. I won't, I won't call anybody out who doesn't, but I know a few of those too. So in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, we got Facebook Marketplace. We got to like find these computer repair stores. We get to borrow a computer from a relative. I've got this plan of process, and I'm like, well, what's your plan? What are you gonna do? Her plan is, well, I'm gonna pray about it, Daddy. I'm like, well, that's, that's a pretty good plan. I mean, maybe I should have thought of that plan too. I didn't. That one wasn't my first thought. But I, I say this to say is, I'm gonna just address a couple things. If there's any like hint of doubting Thomas in you. If there's any part of you that maybe you come here this morning and maybe your heart feels a little frazzled or, or lukewarm, if you're really honest, you're welcome. We're so glad you're with us. But I just want to address a couple of things that maybe like these critical things that might run through our minds. For example, we read this and it says, Jesus appeared to Peter. Some translations say Cephas. And then the 12. Like when I first read that, I'm like, wait a minute. The 12? It wasn't the 12, Right. Judas was gone. Judas had already left. How, how could this be the 12? And um, I decided I'm going to research and process this. Two things. One, 
Acts 1, they decided to replace Judas, right? And so they had to find someone who had been with Jesus from the beginning until his resurrection. And they picked two guys, and they voted, and it was Matthias. So he was present, but also in this culture at this time, they spoke of numbers figuratively. So what that means is the disciples were referred to as the twelve. It was their title. My Bible actually has it capitalized, and we do this too. We speak of numbers figuratively. Anybody do construction? A two-by-four, right? We call it a two-by-four. It's not actually two inches by four inches, right? Some of you are like, what? No, it's not. Or you think of like, okay, we got some football guys, like Big Ten, Big 12. They don't actually have 10 teams and 12 teams in them, right? It's what we call them. Even now, you can't just say like the Dollar Tree. I mean, you call it the Dollar Tree. Some of you guys don't shop at the Dollar Tree. No shame. Some of us might on occasion shop at the Dollar Tree. But it's not actually a dollar. Some of you might not have known that. But we speak of numbers figuratively. So, so we've got Jesus appeared to the 12, and we see why it's spoken of like that. But the reason that he appeared to the 12 is the important part. He appeared to them to give them a courage, a hope, something to stake their lives upon, a perseverance, because what they're going to endure, they couldn't possibly have endured had they not seen the risen Lord. See, all 12 of the disciples, they, they faced horrific suffering. 11 of them died as martyrs, like ugly things. Mark was thrown from the pinnacle of a high, high building, and then he survived, so they decided to beat him with a club to death. Some were drugged through the streets by horses until they died. Some were stoned. Some were speared. Some were beheaded. Some were crucified. Peter was crucified upside down. I mean, horrific things. They couldn't possibly have endured what they endured. It's psychologically impossible unless they had seen the risen Lord. And so I say that to say, when we have these doubts and questions, just go back to this one question. Or if you have a friend who's like, I'm not so sure about Jesus, just lovingly, gently, always say, well, well what happened to the body? Where was Jesus' body? Like Jay said, do you know there's so much historical record from not only Christians, but from non-believers that Jesus walked the earth that he was the son of a carpenter, they lived in Nazareth, that he did the things that we say he did, that we read about in the Bible. So the question is, is that where's the body? See, if, if Jesus' enemies had the body of Jesus, they would have presented it. Because if they presented, here's his dead body, it would have discredited everything about the faith. But they didn't have it. And the disciples couldn't possibly have endured what they endured had they not encountered the risen Lord? And so I say this and, and invite Jay up because this demands a response from us. And I want you to know the response is an invitation for us to stake our lives on something just like these disciples did. To change our perspective, like Jay said, the lens through which we see relationship and hardship and challenge, persecution, struggle, anything is different when we know he conquered death, that he's with us and he's for us, and he offers us eternal life. And where, where hope might feel oh, non-existent, I'm telling you that there is hope because he conquered death. Lord, I just pray right now, would you birth hope right now where it feels like the soil is not fertile, where it feels like seeds can't grow for hope? Supernaturally, I just pray... Hope is birthright now in our hearts and our minds. Would we focus on the truths of who you are and what you can do? Lord, would we respond to the truth of who you are with arms open, humble hearts, maybe with confusion and doubt, maybe with shame? And Lord, would we just see truth that you've washed all that away and you just invite us to come to you and receive your embrace and walk in intimacy? It's like Hebrews 10 says, would we cling to hope? because he who promised is faithful. In Jesus' name. As I processed this text, I, I really wondered, like, I think it'd be easier sometimes just redo 
You ever feel like that? Maybe God's just going to be like, man, I'm just going to start with somebody else. It's not you anymore, you know? He appears to Peter. He appears to the 12. He appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, which is before he ascends. He's telling everybody, hey, I'm about to come back, but I'm going to send you out now. He appeared to James, which is his brother. You remember James came to him and was like, hey, if you really are the king, then why don't you just go tell everybody? Why don't you just show him? He's like, it's not my time yet. Sibling rivalry is a beast, you know? Can you imagine being Jesus' brother? <laughs> She's like, talk about a black sheep. Like, you for sure did, are not, you're not, you're not what he is. Like, I'm just, it's got to be tough to work through that insecurity. But what kind of brother is Jesus? Like, show up to his brother. It's got to be a unique conversation. I wish I knew what he said. And what's it like for Jesus to show up to a guy named Saul? That's who he's talking about. He's at the one, last of all, to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. Like, <laughs> the worst time of my life he showed up. This guy was so zealous for religion, he was trying to kill all these people. Jesus shows up to him. And as I was processing this text, y'all, I don't even know what happened to me last night, but I, I don't know if I was like dreaming or if I woke up at five, I don't even know when this happened. But literally like I had a dream last night, but it was almost like I was working through this text in my mind. And I realized that like when I was studying this, that really it doesn't talk about Mary being somebody that he shows up to. It starts with, with Peter, but he does that because in that day, the testimony of a woman isn't even acknowledged. It's not even heard. It doesn't matter. Times have changed. <laughs> but you know what is really profound because I'm, I'm thinking through this and I don't, like I said, I don't know if I'm dreaming or what. But it doesn't get Jesus anywhere to really show up to Mary, to be honest with you. Like it really doesn't because her testimony doesn't matter to people. And sometimes I think, you know, we go through this thing of religion and we just think that God has like all these tasks for me to do. And he's just really this taskmaster, like get it done, get it done or else, get it done or else. And I feel like I'm never measuring up because I'm never getting it accomplished, right? And that showing up to Mary really didn't get Jesus anywhere. But when I was dreaming last night, he was like, Jay, it wasn't about getting it done. It was, I showed up to Mary because I love Mary. Like I show up to Peter because I love Peter's in the room today. I showed up to the 12 and Thomas because I love those guys. I actually love them. Like it's more than just work. Like I actually like care. My heart cares. Like I have compassion. I love those guys. I showed up to 500 people. Where were they when I was getting crucified? I don't know, but I love them. No. And I showed up to Paul, a guy who was killing my people. And when Jesus is like, you're persecuting me, my people are me. He identifies himself with you. He loves you. You say, well, I really wish he'd show up for me today. I'm telling you, he is today. He's here, he's telling you right now. The truth of the message, it's not my message, it's his. His message is what releases power in our lives. Believe upon him. His message, he's speaking to you through me today, through Jen, through Adam. Do you want to hear from him? You are. It's his words, not mine. I'm just saying what he said. I'm just telling you what he did. But each person that he meets with and he calls is faced with a decision. Believe upon Jesus and come follow him. Believe upon him and come follow him. Unless, unless you receive his love today, his absolute forgiveness over your life, you will have no power to follow. The power is in the gospel message, receiving the news that he brought to us. 
if you will receive forgiveness, 100% forgiveness today. And he's showing up to you today, not because of what you've done, because he, listen, he loves you, Peter. He loves you, Doubting Thomas. He loves you, 500, who abandoned him. He just loves you. He died for you. He died for you, but he didn't stay dead. And there's hope in this because he's alive today. And if he's alive today, guys, there's hope beyond the grave because if he did not raise, then nobody has raised. There is no hope. Death is the thing that we look forward to and good luck to everybody. I have no idea. I'm telling you the words that a guy who said, I'm going to die and raise from the dead, did it. And everybody who followed him gave up their lives saying, I saw him. His invitation is today to receive his absolute forgiveness that he died for you, but he is alive today. And because he's alive today, he wants to walk with you hand in hand. He wants to reveal his love to, to you every single day. And every invitation, listen to me, every invitation from him is not to hold you back, is to give you a life you could never have on your own. And in fact, if you can receive it, his invitation is let go of your life and receive mine. Let go of your life. Let go of this thing. Let go of this world. Let go of the cares of this place that everybody's telling you to care about. Because listen, if Jesus really resurrected, it really matters. And I think it's ultimately true. And this ultimate truth will give you the ability to stand in this year, 2023. Because any other truth, listen, is shaky ground. There's hope beyond the grave and his invitation is for us today. My invitation today, that I believe as I just process through this, today is an invitation to all of us to stand in the finished work of Christ, to stand, to not shrink back, to stand. I invite you to stand and to stay standing. Stand today that you might stand and not fail. As Paul tells the church to remain Maybe today you're standing in what someone else has done the past year. Maybe you're standing there. Life feels really shaky. I just invite you to take your eyes off of that person and what they've said or done to you and behold Jesus who stands supreme today, who's coming to you and saying, I love you. Behold me, see me, see me, I'm alive. And if I'm alive, it matters more than anything. And he wants to take you hand in hand and maybe go see peace with that person. But we've got to behold him before we deal with people well. But today, maybe all you do is restart. You feel like you're just restarting and restarting and restarting. I invite you to behold Jesus and stay in his work. I wanna invite you to stay. All my millennial inconsistent friends out there. <laughs> Sorry, I had to y'all. Who like hate commitment. Anybody? We're like silent because like this. I wanna invite you into the community of people who are going after Jesus and experiencing him together. Community is gonna help you be consistent. I wanna invite you to stand on the finished work of Christ together, not alone. Guys, together, we're gonna to go at it together. You're not alone, but go at it with other people. And then let's work through our doubts together. Let's remain together. I encourage you, join a life group. That's just one of the first steps in. Anybody joined a life group and you thought it was a curse but it ended up being kind of a blessing in your life? Anybody? Yeah, come on. Me too. Maybe today you're not sure that you've been born again. Like you're not sure that like you've believed on Jesus. 
I, I invite you to leave your old life behind. He's calling you to surrender your life today to him and trust him. Trust him actually to be forgiven today. And then just like receive forgiveness. Like receive it today from his mouth to yours. Like receive it. Be forgiven today. 100% forgiven. And let the stone of your life like be rolled away from the tomb. And I want you to see the light today. Like you can absolutely walk out. You don't have to stay in that shadow anymore. Like come on out, my friend. Come on out. Come on out, man. Be reborn and come behold Jesus. But today, whatever place you find yourself, whether you're a Peter, or Thomas, a 12, Paul, whatever it is, I invite you to behold him and allow him to minister to you as he will do. Today, let's behold Jesus and allow him to be our solid rock of standing. I invite our church to stand. Would you just stand as a symbol of like just standing, moving? We're just gonna stand. And as we stand today, I pray that this message of resurrection, Jesus, you're alive. This reality, listen, like let it be a symbol to you. Like this reality of Jesus, if I'm to believe upon him, it's gonna give us power to stand in this day. Listen, stand. You can stand. You can stand when you're out with your friends. You can stand when you're with your family. You can stand at the grocery store. You can stand. But what we believe about the resurrection matters more than anything. And it will affect how we stand. If you're struggling with standing today and you don't know what to do, while we sing this song, come behold Jesus, I'm gonna ask our prayer team, if you wanna pray for people, just come. I believe healing is gonna happen today on Resurrection Sunday. If you need to know Jesus, you need to be saved today. Man, come. Let's do that today. Let's watch the King work.